Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 19, and chapter 4, verses, verse 1. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before I jump in, I'm just going to give you a heads up. You're going to listen to me talk for the next little bit. Uh, But this changing of the seasons has really done something to my sinuses. So if there's some extra, you know, sucking in some extra coughing, just I'm going to try best I can to snag as much like that. I'm just giving you a heads up, extend some grace to me today. Um, last week, we started a series re-engaging with our mission and our vision as a church. Um, this, let's see, next month, about one month uh, from today, in October, uh, we will be celebrating our third year anniversary since the time that we launched. Uh, What's been amazing over the course of those three years is that the Lord has sustained us. He has grown us uh, through some very turbulent times. Uh, The world is not the same place that it was back in 2019. But as we've grown, uh, many haven't had a chance to hear and experience some of the foundational convictions, uh, the convictions that are about our church that are captured in our vision, our mission, and our values. Um, But while the world has uh, radically changed since 2009, we really don't believe that our calling, that our vision, our mission, our values have changed at all. And so because there are many who have maybe not had the opportunity to engage with these these missions, visions, and values over the next six weeks, uh, we are going to be reconsidering those things, our vision, our mission, our values. And last week, we began by looking at our vision statement, uh, and what we did is we considered uh, first, uh, kind of half of it, uh, what it means for us to be a church that is both in and for East Harlem, that we might know the love of Christ. This week, though, what we're going to consider is not just what it means to know the love of Christ, which is vital and important and is the beginning stages of what it means for us to follow Jesus, But today, we want to continue with our vision, with the second half of that vision says that we want to uh, be a church that is in and for East Harlem that we both might know and also show the love of God in Christ. Uh, If we stop only with knowing the love of Christ, without then being transformed in a way that causes us to show that great love, then we've actually missed something about the gospel. Now, this whole framework, this whole notion of that we need to know the love of Christ, that we might then show the love of Christ, it's a framework that we see all throughout Scripture, uh, but 
Ephesians has actually been a very central book uh, for us since the very beginning. For those that maybe were with us in the very beginning, we considered this whole framework in the book of Ephesians, uh, and the book of Ephesians has largely become kind of that foundation for who we were going to be as a church. Uh, If you remember, we talked a little bit about this uh, last week, but let me just get you up to speed. The book of Ephesians is basically split into two major sections. You have Ephesians 1 through 3, where Paul unpacks the great love of Christ by showing us all that Jesus accomplished for us. For those who are Christians, who have faith in Jesus, you have been renewed and restored and forgiven. You've been brought from death to life. And then in uh, uh, chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, Paul then prays this prayer asking God uh, that the Ephesians might know and experience the endless depths of Christ's love. This is what we mean when we say we want to know the love of Christ. We want to see and experience the depths of his love for us. However, immediately after this great theological treatise that Paul lays out for us in chapters 1 through 3, at the very beginning of chapter 4, he pivots and he says, Therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's interesting that Paul does not find it sufficient that the Ephesians simply know the love of Christ, but also insists that if they have experienced that love, it will be revealed in the way that they live. And so then chapter 4 through 6, Paul unpacks the ways that the gospel should then impact our lives and the way that we live in this world. The book of Ephesians has always been the template for our vision to be a church that both knows and shows the love of Christ. Now, as I said last week, we, uh, we considered what it means for us to know, but today, again, let's focus our attention on what it means to show the great love of God in Christ in our lives. We need to consider more fully what it means, uh, what Paul means in his words in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, that Christians ought to experience the great love of God so that they might live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And though we see this, again, clearly throughout the book of Ephesians, I actually want to take a wider view of Scripture because the simple response to Paul's statements uh, that we ought to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received uh, is to say that those who are in Christ, those who are part of the kingdom of God as a result of the work of Jesus, for those who know the love that brought them into that kingdom, showing the love of Christ means that every aspect of our lives begins to now align with the kingdom that we have now been brought into. And what I want to do today is I want to see the extent to which the gospel, the redemption found in Jesus, impacts everything. And so as we consider what it means to show the love of Christ, I want to frame our time around what does it mean, Christian, to be part of the kingdom of God? Understanding the kingdom of God and the Christian's place in that kingdom is the way that we are then able to show the love of Christ. Let me show you what I mean by considering several things about the kingdom of God. First, we're going to look at the nature of the kingdom. 
We'll look at the scope of the kingdom, and then finally, we'll look at showing the kingdom. Okay? So first, the nature of the kingdom. I want to just say, this was absolutely not planned. It's just kind of the way this all worked out. But this sermon is very much a preview of what we're going to be looking at in week one of our class today. Uh, and so if any of this is intriguing to you and you want to get a little bit deeper, uh, this week's class, this week one, will, will be the time that we get to um, unpack this even further. But let's start with the nature of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Uh, when we talk about the gospel in particular, what do we mean? Right? What has Christ accomplished? What is the good news about, about what Christ has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection? Uh, the typical and correct answer is that Jesus came to save sinners. Right? This is a huge part of what Jesus accomplishes. Uh, it's what Paul talks about in Romans 1 where he says, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is what Jesus does in his life, his death, and resurrection. He accomplishes salvation for those who trust in him. And for the record, I very much want to say that that is very right and very true about what Jesus does. However, if this is all that is said, if all that we say about the kingdom of God, if all that we say about the kingdom is that Christ saves individuals, then we actually have a radically truncated understanding of what the gospel message is and what Christ accomplishes. Because Christ, yes, does accomplish a redemption and a salvation for you and for me individual, individually. It is no less than that, but it is certainly also far more. Let me explain to you uh, what I mean. Um, to unpack that a bit, I actually want to consider how Jesus talked about the gospel. Uh, and the most prominent way that Jesus talked about the gospel was to proclaim the kingdom of God. The, the Gospels, uh, in the Gospels, kingdom, that notion of kingdom, is noted upwards of like 120 times throughout the Gospels. Uh, it could be argued that the kingdom is actually the primary way that Jesus articulated his mission and his message. Uh, and even when we're taught how to pray, right, he teaches his disciples how to pray. One of the things that he desires for them to be reminded of is, Our Father, thy kingdom come. He points our vision toward the kingdom of God. And we pray that every week so that we might be reminded of the same, the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom? Well, admittedly, uh, kingdom of God theology is actually some of the most complex theological ideas in all of Scripture. Uh, there are countless perspectives on how to understand opinions about how to unpack the kingdom of God. And the reason being, um, one scholar uh, George Ladd, he wrote a, a very important book on the kingdom of God that's been very influential. And one of the things that he um, argues in that book is that the reason why there are so many perspectives on the kingdom of God is because of the way the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. It's complex. Let me give you some examples. Matthew 12 tells us that the kingdom of God is a present reality. But then 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that it's also a future promise. Uh, Romans 14 tells us that it's a spiritual redemptive blessing that John 3 says can only be experienced in a new birth. But then Revelation 11 tells us it has something to do with the government of the nations. Now, Matthew 21 tells us that it's a realm people can enter in now, but back in Matthew 8, it says that it's something that we will enter in tomorrow. Uh, Luke 12 says that it's a gift of God bestowed in the future, and yet, according to Mark 10, it must be received in the present. There's a lot of seemingly contradictory ideas about what the kingdom of God is. So what are we supposed to make of teachings 
that at best are confusing and maybe at worst seem contradictory. Well, theologians over the years have distilled much of the teaching of the kingdom of God by noting a couple of things. First, there is a theological concept that we've talked about before, but it's the notion of the already not yet. That is to say that Jesus and his kingdom have come already, but that the kingdom of God has not yet come in its fullest, and it will be fully manifest one day when Christ returns in his second coming. Right? The already not yet. But the other thing to note is that in the Hebrew of the Old Testament and also the Greek of the New Testament, that word kingdom is primarily defined as the rank or authority or the sovereignty exercised by a king. Meaning that the kingdom of God is not so much a realm or a place as we tend to think of it, but rather when we hear kingdom of God, what we're talking about, what, what we're meant to think about is actually the rule the reign, the authority of the king. A perfect example of how the New Testament talks about this is found in uh, Luke 19. In that story, uh, there's a parable that Jesus tells. He tells of this nobleman who left his servants for what the Greek translates as receive a kingdom. He would then uh, go off and he would, um, he would return. And when he returns, he is able to then rule over his servants. However, what's important just to note, when it says that he received a kingdom, he did not go away and receive a realm or a territory, but rather he received authority to rule. This is why other translations uh, note that he went and he had himself appointed as king in this parable. The bottom line, the reason why I'm unpacking that, is that for us, we need to understand that being a part of the kingdom of God is recognizing the authority of the king. And while there's so many other things that we could say about what the kingdom of God might be, it's definitely, at minimum, that, being under his authority. Another thing I want to just point out quickly is that there's, a, there's another consequence to this biblical teaching uh, that is most important for us to realize now. That the kingdom of God is not something that will come and uh, replace the world in which we live. Right? When we think about the kingdom of God as like this realm or this place, we expect it to either be something that we go to or that something that just takes over where we are now. But the Bible doesn't talk about the kingdom of God in those kinds of ways. In fact, this is a very uniquely Christian idea that the kingdom of God is not some ethereal or distant kingdom that will come, but rather the kingdom of God is in part an authority that Christ holds, and with that authority, one day he will restore and renew this world in which we live right now. But the idea that heaven is not some distant place that will find you know, the end of the universe somewhere, but rather heaven is actually a restored creation. It is the fullness of Christ's kingdom and his authority as king being experienced in the restored and renewed creation. And though not yet fully experienced right now, the kingdom of God is right now because Christ has come. And as a result, under his lordship as king, it is then true that we live as a people under his authority. And that very much applies to us right now. I just said a lot of things that may have been all over the place, but let me pull all this together as to why that matters. Let's look at the scope of the kingdom then. Right? If all that is true, that the kingdom of God is primarily about understanding Christ's authority over those in his kingdom, we can now begin to get a picture of what it then might mean 
to show the love of Christ as people who are part of his kingdom. Right? If we start with Christ's message being the coming of the kingdom and that the presence of the king meant that the kingdom has come, but that one day when Christ returns, we will experience the fullness of that kingdom, how then should that impact the way we proclaim the message of the kingdom, to show the message of the kingdom? How does it shape how we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom as his kingdom people? And to really um, focus in on one particular question, what then is gospel ministry? How do we understand what it means to proclaim the gospel? For some, the gospel of the kingdom is about what we said before. It's about salvation of sinners. It's about calling people to repentance and to faith, which is very true. That's very much part of what the gospel message is. Gospel ministry and gospel proclamation ought to be a pursuit of calling people to repentance and faith. That is absolutely true. But, even though that is true, is that the totality of what Christ accomplishes? And therefore, is that all that there is to gospel ministry? You know, if all that Christ and his kingdom accomplishes is a salvation of sinners, then yes, to proclaim the gospel, to show the love of Christ, is simply to pursue people so that they might believe and convert to the faith of Christianity. But salvation of individuals, as we said, is not the only thing that Christ accomplishes. The work of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, is not only about the salvation of individuals from sin. Again, it is no less than that. I very much want everybody to hear me about this. It is no less than that. But it is certainly more. Romans 8 tells us that all the creation groans for the day, that it will be liberated from the bondages of decay and brought into freedom of the glory of the children of God. That Christianity is not only about individuals submitting to the rule of Christ, it is also about the rule of Christ redeeming and restoring and liberating all of creation. When the bottom line is that the work of Christ, the gospel message, is that Christ has come to save individuals and to redeem the entire cosmos. Christ is redeeming everything in his kingdom to the way that it was before the marring of sin. And we'll spend more uh, time on this. Again, if you're in the class, not to keep pushing that class, we'll spend more time on this in the class. But this is what we talk about, this is what we mean when we're talking about a holistic gospel. It's this idea that as kingdom people, we proclaim a message that declares that Christ's kingdom has come. And that for the individual, that means that we ought to repent and have faith in him, to accept and receive God's grace and his mercy. But it also means, as part of our message, that we are proclaiming the restoration of all things. And here's how we do it. We are able to proclaim the restoration of all things, right? the totality of what Christ accomplishes. We are able to give a glimpse of that coming redemption in the way that we live as his people in this world. When we live in a way that reflects the character and the nature of the kingdom of God, that is gospel ministry in this world, because it is part of proclaiming what Christ has done. And so having said that, this is where we get to the whole point, which is finally, how then does that mean we show the love of Christ? How do we show the kingdom? 
let's look at that finally. Uh, why is the good news the coming of the kingdom of God? And why is Christ's authority and rule good news uh, overall? What, what does that look like practically speaking? Right, let's put some practicality on all of this. Um, if the effects and the impact of sin around us is a broken down creation, longing for the redemption that's to come, how can we point to the restoration that's to come one day? There's a lot of very practical realities to that. The kingdom of God is near, and with the authority of the king over his kingdom people, we now become a people showing his power and authority in the way that we live. Let me give you a really good example of this uh, from Matthew 25. It's a very striking parable that Jesus provides for us. In Matthew 25, it's a parable called the sheep and the goats. And in the parable, Jesus describes a sifting of those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. Uh, let me read for you a portion of that passage. And listen to how Jesus talks about the kingdom, given everything that we just said. But also how his kingdom people prove the extent to which they are actually in his kingdom. Okay? Listen to the, some of the things that he says. In verse 31, he says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let me just pause there for a second. So note, these are people, uh, Jesus is referring to people who have this personal salvation, right? Those that have trusted in him, those that Jesus has accomplished redemption for individually, they have trusted in him as Savior. But then what we're going to see is Jesus now shows the way that they proved themselves to be part of his kingdom. And how did they prove themselves to be part of his kingdom? Verse 35 says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then Jesus goes on in that passage to condemn the goats who did not do the same, thus showing themselves not part of the kingdom of God. And here's now where we can pull all of this together. Jesus, the king, is making clear that those who are part of his kingdom, his kingdom people, are those who reflect his love by reflecting his character as king. By loving and caring for those as if Jesus himself was before us. It's in that place that we then show his love. I mean, think about, if we get our heads around that fully, think about how our entire lives would be transformed if we lived as though Jesus himself were before us. And according to Jesus, who we behave, or how we behave, in the way that we then show his love. It's fascinating to me that Jesus connects our actions, what we do, the way that we show his love, he makes those things all gospel issues. 
Jesus doesn't say that the proof of one being part of his kingdom is that we simply profess faith in him or that we become a church member or that we read our Bible or engage in daily prayer. Those are important things. Don't get me wrong. But instead he says that the proof that you are mine and that you're in my kingdom is that you fed the hungry, gave water to the thirsty, welcomed the stranger, clothed the naked, looked after the sick, visited those in prison. Jesus here explicitly makes the conduct of the Christian a gospel issue. Why? Because if we believe, as I said, that the kingdom of God, the gospel message, is the restoration of all things, think about the work that that accomplishes in the world. I mean, what causes someone to be hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, in prison, or to be a stranger? All of those things are the effects of sin that Christ has come to conquer, that his power conquers. The good news of the kingdom is that injustice and poverty and sickness and lust and greed and racism and violence and brokenness will all be one day redeemed when Christ returns. How then can the church claim to be a people of the kingdom if we don't reflect that coming reality? You know, we can't usher in that perfection that will come one day. But in the end, we must be a people that reflect that coming day, that do what we can to ensure that we are proclaiming a whole gospel, not just in what we desire people to believe, but also that we reflect that kingdom in the way that we show his love, which is a reflection, ultimately, of the nature and the character of our king. I mean, practically speaking, right, there's so many implications of how this ought to impact our lives. Again, we're going to look at that, looking at that deeper in the, in the class. But how does living in such a way that I am giving people a glimpse of the redemption that comes, the redemption that's found under the authority of the king, how does that change the way I engage my work? Or how do I reflect the redemption of my king in the way that I am a neighbor? Or how do I reflect the redemption of my king in the way that I am a, a father or a mother or a child or a friend? How do I re reflect the redemption of my king in the way that I spend my money or I use my time? I mean, as a church, corporately, maybe more specific to like the goals of this series, how are we as a church testifying to the redemption of our king in our conduct and ministry as a church. I mean, as a church, we desire to be a church that is in and for East Harlem, that we might know and show the love of Christ. How, then, are we reflecting the character of his kingdom, the character of our king? How are we giving people glimpses of the redemption that is to come one day, right now, as a church, through our ministry? The reason uh, the emphasis this week is, of course, so important for us to consider, is because last week we considered what it means to know the love of God in Christ. I want everyone to experience the love of Jesus, to experience what it means to be redeemed, what it means to experience the salvation that we talk about, to find the liberation that comes in repentance and faith. I want people to know the love of God in Christ, and we will continue every week to call people to trust in the work of Jesus. But I also want us 
to not see that as the only way that we engage in gospel ministry. Because every time we allow ourselves to move into the place of reflecting the character of God, the character of our King, we are then also proclaiming the gospel. When we are a people that stand against injustice or poverty or greed or racism, when we are a people that go out in the world in order to be part of what is needed in this world, by being a people who are uh, part of solutions in redeeming and restoring the brokenness that exists, this is gospel ministry. Because every time we do it in the name of Jesus, we are doing ultimately gospel ministry because we're pointing people to that kingdom and the nature of our king. And what's beautiful about this idea of both knowing the love of Christ and showing the love of Christ is that for us, it allows us in every aspect of our life, in every moment of our life, to be proclaiming the gospel. Even if we may not be in a particular moment calling people to repentance and faith, living as those that are part of Christ's kingdom gives us opportunity to proclaim the gospel nonetheless. And I'll just end here. I ended similarly last week, but I want to end here uh, is again. Is I want to emphasize the fact that one without the other very much produces a truncated, insufficient gospel. You know, if we are a people that only emphasizes knowing the love of Christ, it can very quickly turn into never really desiring to show that great love, to go out and reflect the character and the nature of the kingdom of God. But then if we're also people that only care about showing the love of God in Christ, meaning we're happy to go out and be a people of redemption out in the world and we'll work against injustice, we'll work against uh, poverty and greed and racism, but we never actually know what it means to know the love of God in Christ for ourselves. That also is an unfaithful, truncated gospel. The tension is holding both of these things at the same time, that we are to know the love of God in Christ for us individually, to put our hope, our faith, our trust in Him and what Jesus has done, but then to be moved, to be transformed in such a way that we go show that love and reflect His kingdom in this world. And I pray that that's the case for all of us individually, but it's also the case for us as a church, that as a church, we are a church that both knows and shows the love of God in Christ. That has been our mission since the beginning, and I trust that the Lord will empower us to continue to do that into the future. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we are, as we put our faith and hope and trust in you, we are uh, a people who are welcomed into your kingdom. That we uh, were once not a people. We once were alienated from you, but because of your great love for us, you have made us your people. Through the perfect life of Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, we have been made a people. And now, as kingdom people, you call us to move out into the world to show this world what it means to be under the authority of the King. You call us to be a people that reflect your holiness and righteousness and justice in this world, all of which is a reflection of the nature of your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that you would empower us and encourage us that as we do that, as we live as people, who have both experienced the fullness of your love, but then also go and show the fullness of that love, that we are doing gospel ministry. 
And Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities to not only call people to faith and repentance, but you'd also give us opportunities to love them as though we were loving you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.